You know that friend from growing up that you always looked to for answers, whether the questions were big or small? His sign-off mattered more than any other. His opinions informed the way you saw the world and understood it. Uh, that's my buddy Ari. We've been friends since I was probably like five or six. And I can point to so many moments of my childhood where, you know, I guess we competed a lot, but uh, trying to keep up with him um, really made me a better student, um, a more nuanced and incisive thinker, and inarguably a better arguer because no one was safe when it came to debating uh, this young man. And so when he entered the profession of law uh, shortly after college, um, his rise through his firm was meteoric. Um, and now he really is just one of those guys that provides incredible legal counsel to his clients. Uh, when the whole COVID thing really started to congeal into the awfulness that we're all experiencing now, he was reporting back to the chat group from home uh, just how difficult uh, the challenges that he was seeing for his firm and his clients. Um, it was interesting to have that perspective. Um, I wanted to get on the pod with his hours and the fact that he was on the West Coast, we weren't able to talk until tonight. We fit in uh, about a 40 minute conversation um, and I really enjoyed having the opportunity just to hear his voice, um, listen to the way he was thinking through things. It brought me back to my childhood in the best possible ways. Um, one of the chief pleasures, as I've mentioned of this podcast is connecting with people uh, that that I really care about. Um, and this is a great example of that. And so I really encourage you to listen closely because every word out of uh, this man's mouth uh, usually would cost you a lot of dollars in legal fees, uh, but I'm bringing it to you for free 99. So stay safe out there and thanks for listening. Uh, music as always by Matthias DeWild. Hey, bud. All right. Hey. It's been a long time, my friend. It has. It doesn't feel like it with the with the chat, but I don't feel like we've actually talked or seen each other in like God, way too long. It would have been August two thousand eighteen. Okay, is that right? Was I in New York, or were you out here? Or we had a wedding. Uh, we had our fantasy football draft in Venega Bay that weekend. Man, that's crazy. I have a ticket to be out in New York in like nine weeks or something, but I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen either. I, I don't foresee New York being a safe place uh, to wish to travel uh, anytime soon. Yeah, you know. I don't know what to say to that. I agree, unfortunately. <laughs>
Um, you know, one of the reasons why I want to get your story here recorded is that uh, you have been working so hard for the last five weeks from home. Um, and I'm hoping that you can shine a little bit of a light on your perspective of what a mess we're in. Yeah, for sure. Are you, are you recording right now? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, well, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a crazy time, um, in, you know, from a legal professional viewpoint, um, in most part, because, um, you know, generally you get a lot of leadership from the federal government, right? And then um, the, the states do what they can and then that's supplemented by cities and counties. But when you have this sort of chaotic federal government, um, what you have is this patchwork of laws among states and then, and then cities that are far more progressive than the conservative states that they're in that pass their own laws and counties. And so what we have been dealing with on the legal side is just this cascade of new laws that are, you know, mostly very well intended, but they're, they're so different. So you can imagine if you're a, you know, a pizza chain, you know, uh, that has pizza restaurants in, you know, 200 different cities and 40 different States, you might now be subject to, to a hundred different laws, you know, regarding what PPE to wear and whether or not your workers are essential and, you know, what kind of postings you might need, what, what information the workers need to have. And I mean, it's an incredibly chaotic environment right now for, for employers, um, you know, and, and for basically, I mean, for everyone, I get it, but you know, for employees and, and it just changes, it literally changes daily. I mean, it, every day there's some, an executive order, there's a new sick leave ordinance, there's a new PPE rule. Um, and again, these are all really well intended, but just keeping up with them is, is, a, is a huge challenge. I mean, it's a huge lift to, to review these things, synthesize them, give correct advice, get the policies, you know, the, the framework in place, get the employees and the managers to understand what they need to do to be in compliance before the next law comes into place and either supersedes or alters the existing law or that law just runs out because it's meant to be an emergency order. And, you know, I mean, I, everybody's running full speed, but I don't know if anybody knows, you know, where they're going. So, it, you know, it's just, it's, it's a challenge. I mean, I don't really know any other way to say it. It is a daily challenge and, and everybody's doing their best to keep up. Um, but, but the lack of clear direction from the top is definitely uh, creates a lot of problems. It came home to me in late March when you sent me a text and said, hey, um, you might be eligible for unemployment benefits. And you sent me a link and said, look at um, section 2102, I believe it was. And what I proceeded to find myself looking at was an 800 page PDF that was the stimulus bill. And I stared at section 2102 for a good 15 minutes and I couldn't make fucking sense of it at all. It was like it was written in Mandarin and it gave me maybe a glimmer of an idea of what you in your capacity is up against because you were like, yeah, I'm reading through this right now, so I don't know if it does relate to you, um, but if I find anything out, I'll let you know. So 
is it your job to read everything that's published, all these laws, and then try to sort that out? If I was a solo practitioner, the answer would be yes. I mean, I'm lucky enough to work at a firm with a thousand lawyers and, um, you know, several hundred of which do the same type of work that I do, which is labor and employment. So, you know, and we have offices all over the country and really all over the world. So thankfully the work is divided up. You know, um, I focus my practice on California. So as, as California laws come out, I, you know, those are the ones I'm really reading and digesting and I'm counting on, the, the partnership and the other attorneys that I work with to read and digest the other laws. And then, but I also need them to flag and send me, you know, syntheses of these different laws so that I can share them with clients of mine that are in these different locations, um, you know, to basically ensure everybody's getting the best information as fast as they can. I mean, I honestly, as a law firm, I feel you know blessed to have so many colleagues that are all that can, you know, to divide up the work. I think the challenge is actually for businesses because often there's one internal employment council or a team of maybe two or three people at a larger company. And so that, that is the person who has to get, you know, all of these synopses across the the entire country. And again, this isn't, this isn't just that one 800 page PDF that you read, which (laughs) I assume was the the cares act. You know, this is like, you know, um, I mean, I'm telling you that every day I, I could forward you every day, several new laws, that get passed. And so if you are a multi-state employer, I mean, it is just, it's, it's just, it's almost impossible to keep up. I mean, it really, at this point, it's just about doing your best. And, you know, the sad thing is at least that's what I perceive is that so many, so many of these people are trying to do their best. Um, and then when this all, when this all ends, I think they're going to wind up getting, there's going to be a lot of litigation because people will have fallen short because there will have been so many new laws so fast. Um, and some of them will, you know, inevitably just won't be able to comply with all of them within the time frame. I mean, the laws we're seeing in California, the, the municipal orders, um, they, 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 pa- they pass and then they're in effect three days later. I mean, it's midnight three days later that you have to, let's say, have all of the workers have to have masks and gloves, you know, which is great and everybody wants that and it's meant for public health. But it, you may not have enough masks and gloves the minute that order comes out or a distribution method to get it to everyone, you know. And so, you know, there's just these challenges that everybody faces. And I think, um, you know, I, I think, honestly, businesses, as I see, you know, the ones I'm working with, which are, you know, large businesses, they're doing their best. They're trying to protect their employees. They're trying to protect the general public. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a moving target, right? I mean, we as a, as a country got guidance for I don't know, like several weeks not to buy masks um, and to make sure not to buy them. And I presume that was meant to make sure that they were available for, you know, first responders and medical professionals. But now that that is completely flipped and I'm under an order where I live that I, if I want to go outside, I'm supposed to wear a mask at all times, you know? So it's just, it's hard. It's hard to keep up with the changing advice, the changing information. Right. And again, Maybe I'm betraying my politics a little bit here, but I, I think that chaos starts at the top. One thing I'm super curious about, I've never even considered this before because it's never come up. When you are looking through something like that CARES Act, 800 pages, it's 
obviously written by human beings under great duress uh, in a short amount of time. How often do you come across um, laws or compliance directives that are uh, contradictory? Uh, like, how often is it just written so badly that there is going to be issues down the line because you you can't do two things simultaneously that it instructs you to do? Always. I mean, every law is is flawed, especially laws that are written quickly. Um, you know, there's just there's no way around that. I mean, if, if they spent years writing it, there'd be flaws, and and ultimately the things get litigated, you know, when you see these questions get litigated, there's some word in there. And then, and somebody says that word is intended to mean X and somebody says that word is intended to mean Y. And then it's ultimately up to a judge to decide what the intent of the law is. And if, if the judge gets it wrong, then the legislature has to go back and fix the law so that it's interpreted correctly. You know, I, I will say, I mean, that law, that CARES Act, is actually a fairly impressive law that they got that together as quickly as they did, and that there's some really thoughtful provisions in there. I mean, there's, uh, for example, right, I mean, your example where you're um, an independent contractor or own your own company, and, and that, you know, that they expanded sick leave, and or at least they expanded unemployment to you. Sick leave has been expanded, you know, through a variety of different state laws. Um, but for example, let me give you an example. If you are uh, like a summer associate, right, and you haven't even started yet um, and you've lost your job because the summer program gets canceled, generally you wouldn't be eligible for unemployment because you've never actually started work. Well, the CARES Act has actually built in certain, certain things that allow for people who haven't even started their job yet to qualify for unemployment, right? And those are the kind of things that you are hard to think of in the moment, right? When you're writing a law and you're trying to uh, account for all sorts of different contingencies, which no one in modern government has ever dealt with a pandemic like this before. And so you're doing your best to write it and cover these things. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, thoughtful, interesting things that are in that law. I mean, it's not, it's not a perfect law, but um, it's actually, it's actually pretty impressive how much they got in there in, in a short span. I know people can argue about whether or not they went far enough and whether or not, you know, it, we're protective of enough of, of Americans and American workers and I certainly, when you look at what some other countries have managed to do, it, it does seem less than, um, or it is less than, but it, it's still, it's, it's, a, it's impressive to me, some, that a lot of the thoughtful provisions that they got into that law. And I'm somebody who's going to benefit from it. So, um, you know, just me personally, not a ton of complaints. This is sort of a tangential question, but it popped up, it popped up in my mind when you were uh, explaining that last segment. Do you have any idea if in the law world there are people from more of a tech background, especially like in the Silicon Valley area, who are trying to apply artificial intelligence um, to look through these laws, perhaps to be able to identify more quickly when they are uh, contradictory? Is that something that is of any interest to anybody or am I just spouting off? No, that, there's definitely growing AI in the law. I don't know if Congress uses it um, in, in actually drafting laws. There's definitely AI that's used um, in analyzing sort of the collective universe of jurisprudence, you know, judge-made law decisions, and trying to determine if there's consistencies and if there's um, inconsistencies and in what law may best support the argument that you're trying to make. Um, my suspicion is that probably some 
members of Congress in, you know, from California and more progressive states are more uh, willing to explore things like AI. Um, I don't know if you watched the Zuckerberg hearings, uh, you know, from I don't know, <laughs> yeah, a months ago. ago, right? And, yeah. you know, I think it was uh, Grassley or somebody, you know, some senator was asking him, you know, it ha- if you don't sell anything, how do you make money? You know, and it was just, am- it was so startling, so, so obvious how much, how, how we need younger people um, in government because there, there does seem to be a generation of, of thinkers in government that are very analog, that are used to business transactions being a certain way, and they don't really understand how a lot of the modern economy works. Um, so that, that is to answer your question, I think there are probably some, I think it's probably burgeoning, but I would guess on a large scale, there's probably not a lot of AI at this point. No, I, I probably not, but I'm just for my friends who work in that field and all the different sectors it touches, um, I was curious to know how much it had grown, grown into the law. Uh, you and I have been friends since we were probably like four or five years old, and I feel very fortunate that we have a WhatsApp chat group um, for about 11 of us uh, who all grew up together in Sacramento. Um, we often share advice uh, and give each other um, kind of words of wisdom. Um, and I know how busy you've been, but oftentimes, especially when it has to do with the kings uh, and their... Uh, Byzantine contract negotiations, you've been kind enough to break things down from um, what most often would be either an agent or a manager position. Uh, what what would you tell our friends if uh, we were kind of sitting around and having a beer about what they should be looking out for, what, should they, what they should be careful of um, in the current kind of corona environment? Well, first of all, I'd like to point out that the Kings our NBA co-champions 2019. I just like to get that on record. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in the absence of a championship, I think it's, it's fair to have it be split. Nobody had made the playoffs yet, or at least, you know, the Kings weren't eliminated. So I think it's fair. They were still in it as much as anybody. I'm just going to put that out there. I think that's, that's on record. <laughs> I, I'm ready to hang. Ba- I'm ready to hang the banner. I'm ready to hang the co-champion banner. Uh, in in Golden One Arena in, that was financed by in Golden One, that's right. <laughs> financed by that that disgraced or the guy who's now in prison uh, for uh, lining his own pockets with Golden One bank money. Who's that? Remember the story about the 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 marketing guy for the Kings, um, who's oh. <laughs> the Adam Adam's kid and his kid played like on the same soccer team, and so Adam Adam yes. from the sidelines, uh, and he's now in prison yeah. somewhere in Iowa because f- the FBI finally got after him. Yeah, he didn't finance the arena, but yeah, yeah, he was a uh, he was in charge of ad sales at the arena, and That's he created right. a separate fund, a separate fund, so that when people wanted to advertise there, it went into his separate fund. And yeah, he siphoned it off. The crazy thing about that story is he used that money to buy properties down in Southern California to buy these condos. And the investment he made actually killed it. So when he he was forced to divest, right, the properties and, and repay all the money that was lost. And the people whose money he took actually saw this big windfall because the, the properties he had invested in had gone up like 30% in value. And so when he sold them, the people got their money plus interest. It turned out to be like the best stolen money of all time. Um, still went to jail, but... I, I did not uh, know that that was the epilogue to that story. And that just made me smile ear to ear. That is such a... Uh, that is... <laughs> uh, 
how 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 remarkable. Um, but but yeah, to answer your question, go back to the original question. Sure. Um, so I, I don't know if anybody. Uh, I used to watch Thirty Rock, and um, there was this great character on Thirty Rock that was Matt Damon. He was a pilot, and he dated Liz Lemon, um, and he used to tell people or he had this line in the show where he would say that um, he, he was a pilot, like a commercial pilot. Wait, did I just lose you there? Commercial pilot? There we go. Hello? There we go. I think, I think it was an internet connectivity issue on my end. So we have Liz Lemon, who's dating Matt Damon, who is a commercial pilot in 30 Rock. Right. And he, he, would, he says on the show, he says, you know, no matter how long the delay is going to be, I tell people that it's only going to be 30 minutes. It's going to be 30 more minutes because people would freak out if you tell them it's going to be three hours, right? People are going to be pissed. But if you tell them 30 minutes, everybody can manage for another 30 minutes. And I, I kind of feel like right now, that's, that, I mean, I would tell people that that's what's going on, not to panic them, but this is, we need to, we need to tell ourselves that it's only going to be another 30 minutes, but understand that it's probably going to be three hours. Like this is not, this is not going away um, anytime soon, not, not without a vaccine. And, you know, and, and so people just need, they need to sort of shift their whole paradigm. Um, businesses are doing it. You know, businesses are, are getting, finding new ways to deliver goods. They're, they're going into, um, you know, new models, new delivery methods. You know, um, I'm working with a, a client that is a, um, they do, they sell wine, but because they have a great distribution apparatus, they switched and now they're delivering toilet paper and milk and eggs and all these things. And, you know, the, the shape of things is just going to change for a while. And, and the more adaptable we can all be in this moment, the better we'll all be. Um, you know, and, you know, I, I really do think that, you know, I, I, that some, that, that, that I, I see a lot of good. I don't know if I'm just now like a PSA for, you know, like trying to keep people's hopes up, but like, like I'm working with one client and I can't use any names, but um, they're a foundation and they basically have just agreed to pay the legal fees for like 200 charitable foundations so that these charities don't have to spend any money dealing with the CARES Act or PPP or unemployment or, you know, any of the hundreds of laws that are coming out right now. They're basically saying, take your money make sure you're still focused on your charitable nonprofit mission. We will cover your legal fees. We will negotiate discounted legal fees for you in this time. Law firms are saying, you know, we're going to take less. Everybody needs to take less. It's got to be a wartime mentality. Like we're all going to be impacted. Um, but there, you know, I, I guess I'm heartened by what I'm seeing. I feel like everyone around me is trying to, to, to stay afloat, but also, you know, cast lifelines out around them. Um, you know, and I think, you know, from a business standpoint, from an employee standpoint, and this was a point that, you know, Jonathan made our, our friend who I know you've interviewed and yeah. who is on this cha chain that you referenced, but you know, to the extent now's the time, like you can, now's the time to be creative. Now's the time to find a way that you can, um, add value to the company you're working for. You know, companies are making a lot less money. You know, uh, everyone, I, Everyone I have talked to, everyone I work with, everyone's trying to preserve jobs. Everyone's trying to get creative, and and we all need to be part of that process. You know, what, understand what 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 can we do? 
what can we do for the, the, the people we work with, the people we, we work for, um, you know, because, because it's just, it's a challenge, um, you know, and, and so anyone who, who just wants to do the same old, who, who thinks like, this is what I do and I'm going to stay this way. I mean, I, you see that in law firms too, people who are like, this is what I do. So I, I'm not going to amend my practice at all, or I'm not going to learn about these new things. Well, all we're doing right now, I mean, for the most part, is trying to help people address this pandemic and all these new laws. So if you're, if you're historically do a certain type of thing and that thing isn't happening right now, you either evolve or die, which I guess is just sort of true of life as a whole. But, but that's the message I would tell all of our buddies, which is like, don't, don't get, don't be too focused on who you were last month or, you know, six months ago, like, you know, evolve or die and, and figure out what, what niche you have in this new paradigm and, and lean into that. And if you don't have one, be forward thinking, find what's coming next, learn about it and find a way to, you know, to, to help. I mean, I think that innovation and adaptability is going to be so important across the board. Uh, in a best case scenario and, you know, just kind of in your wildest dreams, um, what can you imagine, say, a year or two from now looking back being like, hey, this kind of like th that was really painful and that was really awful, but some good came out of it. Um, do you have any idea what the shape of that good may be? Ah, that's a tough question what, in, when you're in the middle of it. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've seen things that refer to this as sort of the great pause, you know, this mm -hmm. idea that, you know, you, you can kind of take a breath, which I think is, it, it's a little bit of an entitled view because a lot of people can't take a breath. A lot of people are drowning. Um, but, you know, there's, there are small things, you know, I'm working from home every day and I, I, I dealt with, you know, kind of guilt about how much I work in my job. You know, I, I pride myself on being an engaged father, but the reality is, you know, I, I take my daughter, my wife goes into work early and I, I, so I have my daughter in the morning and I get her breakfast and I get her dressed and some mornings are great. And some mornings, you know, are just more challenging because she's four. Um, and, and then I go to work and I get home as soon as I can, but a lot of times that's, you know, after six and she goes to bed at seven 30. So, you know, there's a lot of days when I get two hours with her, you know, two waking hours with her. And that's just sort of a working guilt that I, I live with, you know, and I balance it with this feeling like I'm helping to provide a stable house and, you know, and, and, you know, give her a lot of the opportunities in life, but now I'm with her all day. And, and while that's a, a, a big challenge, you know, I'm going to have several months of time, you know, a lot more time during the day where I'm reading her a story, you know, before a nap or I'm sitting down and I'm coloring with her. And it means that I'm working a lot, you know, between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. because I'm offline a lot more than I would care to be during the day. But, you know, I mean, I'm just I'm engaging with her. I'm watching her grow up in a way that I wouldn't otherwise, you know, she's learning to read right now and we're sitting down and doing you know, phonics and letters and sounding it out. And it's stuff that her teachers would be doing with her. And instead it's me. And that's really gratifying, you know, and, you know, so I think for parents, I think there will be those moments that they wouldn't otherwise have. Um, you know, I mean, again, I, I sort of speaking for myself and my wife, you know, like we planted a big garden, you know, things that we had been talking about doing for a long time. We're, we're trying to learn new things, um, you know, reading more. So, uh, you know, I think, I think it'll be different for everyone. Um, 
but um, you know, I think I, I think there will be some good. I think it'll be more bad than good, but I think at the end there'll be some good. I mean, I think about you, right? I mean, you're an interesting guy. I've always wondered sort of who would be able to live with you in close quarters for a very long time, <laughs> you know? And they like are very uh, close quarters right now. Yeah, you. I when you said it was like 550 square foot apartment I was studio. Like, yeah, that's like. Yeah, I mean that—that's love. I mean, there's probably no greater litmus test than what you are going through right now. I mean, if you guys can survive a pandemic where it's basically toxic to go outside, and you're in this incredibly small space, and you—you—you you, know—you're sort of a prime example of what I was saying about being adaptable, right? I mean, your industry has basically come to a screeching halt, and—and and, you know, I'm sorry to say there there isn't an end in no. sight. You know, unless unless you know you want to go to one of these states that apparently is just like, just gonna just kick the doors open and see how many people die. South you know? Dakota so, does not uh, have a huge uh, philanthropy industrial complex, and so yeah. you know, like right now, South Dakota is not looking super appealing, uh, despite the, yeah. uh, the the new governor's insistence that uh, this is all a hoax. Right, right. So, so you know, I mean, I I think that. Uh, I think for you, you know, I, I, I think once you guys get to the other side of this, you'll be in a spot where you'll be like, there's nothing we can't accomplish as a couple. You know, if we can get through this together, it's really, you, you will feel empowered. Like there's no challenge that you, the two of you can't muster. Um, you know, I, I just hope that, you know, you guys don't break up and then have to live together. And then, then that would be like a sitcom I would watch, <laughs> you know, like that would be like, I don't know if a sitcom as much as like a, tortured reality show but i'd watch it it's a it's a shakes it's a shakespearean uh, comedy tragedy and you know it, it's yeah. interesting that you brought up uh, amanda because without her um this would have been so much more problematic uh you know she moved in five weeks ago today so five saturdays ago um and it was her structure at work. She's an interior designer. Uh, she's busier than ever. She's working from home. She gets up and we reconfigure the tiny apartment so that she has a desk to work on uh, by 9.30, Monday through Friday. And it got me structure that as a self-employed auctioneer who largely works at night and has a lot of free time, uh, I would have really suffered um, if I hadn't had her kind of showing me the way and so like a lot of people I had you know highs and lows over the last couple of weeks but since Monday so the last six days I can't remember a time in my adult life where I felt more focused more on top of shit more inspired um, I haven't had a drink in two months uh, which it's kind of neither here nor there because I don't, you know, I haven't been losing weight or anything but I just the clarity of thought is so exciting to me that I, these podcasts, um, like I mentioned, this is the 63rd interview I've done in the last five weeks. And, you know, they range from 15 minutes to hour and a half. And then I edit them down and I publish them and I, you know, put them onto different uh, media channels. Um, and I don't have a lot of listeners. And that's okay because I feel like I've gone into the lab and I'm learning new skills. And like you noted, I don't think my line of work that has sustained me for the last six years is going to be available for, I don't know, 18 months, 24 months. Um, I don't think I can rely on it. And so it's incumbent upon me to really, really adapt and 
you know, evolve or die. Like you said, and Amanda has been key in my evolution and giving me the space to evolve. And space is not just figurative language. Last weekend, she made me clean out my closet where I now sit. My podcast is now like, a, like it's a little podcast studio. And it was a fucking mess before, and it would have been a mess. And it, if it wasn't for her, a um, little bit more than gentle prodding, um, I wouldn't have a space to come in here and do this. And since, since she made me, uh, since she made me clean it out, and I, I became a place where I could come and have these conversations. This is my fourteenth interview since Monday, and th that is just going to ensure that I hit that Malcolm Gladwellian ten thousand hours sooner than later. Um, and give me an opportunity to market myself as somebody who can conduct interviews remotely. Uh, it's going to be a skill set that I have. Um, and so, you know, I'm excited by that. And I, I do have to tell the listeners that one of the things that I think is a biggest benefit from this coronavirus is that there is there has been a lot of creativity out there. And I think that your father has been um, uh, really a leader yeah. in this regard. I mean, his YouTube channel, um, I'll put it in the in the show links if, uh, if you think that's a good idea. Um, your dad has one of the most beautiful singing voices of any man I've ever met in person. It's a remarkable instrument that is his voice. And he's also uh, got a really idiosyncratic sense of humor that funnels into some really really creative song uh song lyric writing uh which he combines with classic uh tunes from i'd say what the 50s primarily is where he draws his his uh kind of melodic cues from um and yeah. he's just your dad is crushing it right now well that's very kind and you know and i'm i'm i know something he would certainly appreciate i mean i think it you're right there is a it, it you know, there's a reason that a lot of these like classic songs and artwork come out of struggle, right? Like they come out of wartime and, and, you know, because it, it, there's a lot of pain going on. There's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of people trying to try to make sense of this. And, and the outlet for that is art and music or, you know, podcasting or gardening or, or whatever it may be, you know, and, and a lot of the things that have historically, you know, taken our time you know, sports and, and things like that, that are just gone. Right. And so you were finding other things that sort of, that, that fill that space. And, and I think you're right. I mean, I think um, there is going to be a lot of, of creative things that come out of this. Um, you know, and my dad, he's just, he's just so happy go lucky. I mean, he's just like this indomitable happiness. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, he's, and he's happy if he's sort of, I mean, akin to what you said, he doesn't have, you know, a million followers, but if a hundred people are watching his videos and, and sending him notes that they appreciate it, that they, you know, give him a two minute respite, there's some otherwise, you know, challenge that they're facing, you know, he, that's a success. So, um, you know, he's, he, it's what I said, you know, he's kind of, he's finding his, the way to, to fill his day, you know, he's a, he, like a lot of us, right. I mean, very community oriented. And so that's one of the big challenges here, right. Is that we miss our community. Um, you know, I've actually thought a lot that one of the things that we're really lucky is that, that this is happening at this moment in time where telecommunications is what it is. We have things like Zoom and WebEx and all these things where, you know, FaceTime where we can see each other and be connected with our families across the world. You know, it'd be a lot harder if it was like when we were kids, right? Yes, you know, it like, would. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't pay for long distance calls or you had to use internet by the minute. You know, if this was just a diff different moment in time, 
you know, I think it would be a lot harder for the economy to go on. It would be a lot harder for, you know, communities to stay connected. So, you know, I'm appreciative of those things, things that I probably not otherwise would have been. I also just bought like a, like a 25 foot ladder. Cause I was like, well, I got a lot of things I haven't explored in my yard. So I was like, <laughs> I climbed up today. I'm going to go up be on my safe, roof after Art. this and see be what the top of my safe. roof looks like. Don't hurt yourself, yeah. please. Uh, Stacy's worried. Stacy's worried. She's reason to be worried. I, I like. She does. You know, the ladder has like instructions, and there, it's like there's like a hundred warnings on the ladder that's like, do not climb this ladder until you read the instructions. And I was like, oh, I think I'm gonna <laughs> climb this ladder. You know. <laughs> so, uh, you know. I mean, the last thing yeah, that but you I did. need I is to, <laughs> last thing is you need is yeah. to have to go to the emergency room with all the COVID swirling around there with uh, with a broken wrist. You know, that's a, that is a very, very reasonable, good point. That, that actually is a, uh, is good context. I, I, I generally pride myself on being a pretty pragmatic, you know, cost benefit analysis person, but you know, <laughs> there's, there's, you know, the walls get smaller and then you think, all right, I just got to explore, you know, I got to find the next, the, the next thing. And if it's, you know, 20 feet up in a tree and I'm like, I can, I can get into this little nook between these trees, then, you know, you got to at least consider doing it. Is if you don't read the instructions, can you at least do a FaceTime with our buddy Noah and have him just give you a quick tutorial? Uh, I'm sure that he has some lessons vis-a-vis ladders um, that no. that might be a cliff notes for those instructions. You know, I would, but I actually get like a little bit like embarrassed or intimidated because like I have had this such a scholastic focused life. Right. And like, you and I and we have so many of these friends that are right. That have so many like practical skill sets that, you know, I just have never had to do so many of these things. And so it's almost like, I'm almost embarrassed to ask these very, you know, probably simple things, things they've done a thousand times, you know, I mean, they've actually built things, you know, and that, you know, Noah's like putting in, you know, like a 15,000 gallon water tanker, you know, and he's driving his forklift around and all these things and I couldn't, you know, I don't even know where to put the keys in, you know? So it's, it is, it's interesting though, that too, you know, to kind of see as, as we've all, you know, had additional time to kind of connect and talk about what we're all doing. And I think there's 15 of us on that chain and where we've all landed, um, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, the people who went a route that was less academic, you know, are, are in a much better spot now because, you know, they have a lot of skill sets that, that it will help, you know, if we wind up in, in a worse spot. I mean, I guess, I guess it's, it differs by degree. I mean, if you're a doctor, you know, you're, uh, you're in heavy demand right now. Um, but there's just a lot of practical skills that you don't learn if you spend too many hours in, in school, you know, and, and, and there are times I'm like, I'm actually like int- intimidated to ask questions because it's almost embarrassing that I don't know the answers. Let's be honest, in a zombie apocalypse, auctioneering the law and foundational consulting um, are not going to be first-round draft picks in assembling teams to beat back uh, the zombie hordes. I think that's right. I think that's right. And it's interesting, you know, it's it's, it's interesting when you look at the economics of that, right? That like that those jobs are probably the most lucrative of the ones that we're talking about. Um, but you know, in a real emergency, they you know, their value really is called into question. And and that's not to say that what you do or what I do or what Jonathan does, you know, doesn't add to society. You know, I'm proud of the work that I do. And I know you raise a ton of money for different organizations and 
and Jonathan helps, you know, nonprofits in myriad ways. But, you know, I mean, it is not a, they are not pragmatic, you know, like skills, you know. Essential. Um, they are not essential. Right. They, right. Exactly. They are, they are products of uh, a late capitalist society um, and that grow out of that and are, are not foundational um, to the, the workings of our society. And it's eye-opening, you know, just how yeah. how little power or impact um, I have to change the world around me uh, in a COVID nineteen environment, um, and yeah. it it gives me perspective that I hope I'm able to hold on to um, when all of this has come and gone. Yeah, although I will say, I mean, not to not to um, elevate what I do over what you do but I'm going to elevate what I do slightly <laughs> over what you do right now, because I, my job is, in, I've never been in greater demand. You know, I mean, a lot of what I have historically done is uh, litigate, right. You know, where, where there's somebody suing over something and I'm involved in litigation, but 99% of what I do right now is counseling. I mean, litigation has basically come to a screeching halt because the, you know, one, the courts are closed Two, you know, a lot of litigation requires, in-person appearances, you know, depositions and things like that require court reporters and, and, and people just aren't coming together. People are trying to solve for that again, like through digital platforms. But, but right now, you know, I mean, people are, you know, really turning to lawyers to understand these new laws and to, to help guide them through them. Um, obviously with the zombie apocalypse comes, people aren't going to worry too much about consulting with lawyers, but you know, it, it is a, I mean, I've just never been busier and I've never had, my practice is not such that I get a lot of urgent emails, right? I mean, that happens every now and then, like you may have like a, like a workplace violence issue and someone needs a, a TR, like a temporary restraining order to keep somebody out of the workplace or something like that. Um, you know, or you may have some evanescent issue that really, really needs an answer right away. But for the most part, things, you know, can be done in time. You know, somebody reaches out and need an answer in, in a day or two or a week or two. Um, and right now, you know, it pretty much, I feel like 40% of the emails I get are marked urgent and they are urgent. I mean, they're, somebody said, okay, this law is going to affect in 24 hours and I need to know exactly what I need to do. Um, you know, because, because they otherwise are subject to fines or penalties. Or in some cases there's criminal penalties, you know, or, you know, in, there's employee safety issues, uh, you know, or they could just be closed. You know, a lot of companies are trying to figure out with these sort of what is an essential service whether they can stay open and, and to what extent they can stay open. And the answer to that question has a ton of jobs that are tied to it, right? If, you, if they can't stay open in this moment or if they can only stay open in part, then they, can't, they have no way to continue paying their employees. You know, a lot of, a lot of businesses are small margin businesses. So I, I think there's a perception, you know, when, when you look at the, these huge companies that they can probably sustain for a while without any revenue. But a lot of businesses are not like that. A lot of businesses are small margin businesses. And if you're paying really high rents in a lot of these areas, like New York, where you are, San Francisco, where I am, and you have no revenue coming in, then you really don't have the ability to, to stay open. You just, you just kind of bleed out. So, you know, they're trying, they're trying to solve these things. They're trying to figure out what they can do, how much they can do, how long they can do it, and how many people they can keep employed legally. Um, and they're dealing with people who very righteously don't feel comfortable working they, or they have a sick family member. They themselves are sick or their kids are off school. And so they need to be home. 
and they're trying to figure out how to, you know, companies are trying to figure out how to balance all of these competing needs. Um, I mean, it is, you know, it's a cluster, you know, um, and, and, you know, I'm just, in my mind, like the only thing that I sort of hold on to and, and when, you know, when I'm talking to clients, when I'm talking to, you know, cause most of these people, you know, you wind up having real conversations with you, how your family is, you know, like you, 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 you want to know, right. You work with these people, they become your friends, they're your, your colleagues. And, you know, everybody is just kind of holding on to this idea that in our lives, there's never been a problem where the greatest scientific and medical minds have all been focused on the same thing at once. And, and those are really, you know, the, the most brilliant people that we have in humanity. And they're all, they're all focused on the same issue. So maybe the timelines that we're used to, you know, the expectations that we have for solutions are, can be radically expedited because, because everybody's focused on the same problem, you know, and at least that's what I sort of hold on to in terms of hope that, that, that this is going to get solved sooner rather than later. That sort of all-encompassing community focus on finding solutions um, is heartening. And I think that you are absolutely right to focus on that. And I also want to concur uh, in terms of uh, the fact that you you are supporting in your line of work um, like essential essential businesses. And it is important to differentiate your work from my work because... Honestly, the only people more um, or, or less essential than than me are dog groomers and Instagram influencers. And so I, I'm very well aware of uh, my place in the hierarchy vis-a-vis others. And uh, it, it is what it is. Yeah, but I do worry. I mean, I do worry. I mean, I, I appreciate what you're saying. And, you know, this sort of, you know, it's, it's nice to be self-deprecating in this moment and, and, you know, reflective on the value of others. But, you know, the thing that, the things that you do, those things are, those, those impacts are going to be very, they're going to be felt a year from now or two years from now, right? When these organizations, these aid organizations, these charities that, you know, the the events that you go to, that's their big event of the year, right? And they're, they're bringing in hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of probably at some of the level of events that you do. I mean, you know, I'm on a board of directors here, my Stacey, as a board of directors, we're scrambling to try to figure out how we are going to do our big annual event. You know, we think people will still buy tickets, you know, just to make the donation. But, the, you know, the, the silent auctions, the public auctions, where a lot of money, you know, where there's sort of cash sort of comes out of people's wallets and there's a synergy, right? And that's sort of what the auctioneer is counted on to do to get people in the mood to give. I don't know if we're going to be able to replace that. And, you know, and, and maybe these organizations have enough in the near term to, to survive and, and continue their mission, but those things have to be replenished, you know? And so, you know, I, it, it is a loss. I mean, not having you and not having those things going on, it is a loss and it may not be felt immediately, but, you know, it's, so it, it's not essential in the way that we need a doctor to hook somebody up to a dialysis machine, but, you know, a lot of people count on those services that those organizations generate and which you help generate. So, you know, um, I hope you get back to work as soon as you can. I, I appreciate that. And it definitely does make me feel, um, slightly better vis-a-vis those dog rumors. Cause fuck those guys. Uh, we, we really, <laughs> we, we really don't need them now. Um, <laughs> certainly I would, I would land on the Instagram models as people that we, 
really really <laughs> don't need if anything they'd probably make us feel worse uh yeah you know? I, I think uh, you know? like, that's correct um i uh i really appreciate you taking the time to to chat with me um this had been a conversation i had hoped that we were going to be able to have a couple weeks ago and i my schedule got screwed up when we were initially supposed to supposed to talk um and uh you know, it was great speaking with your sister and hearing her story. Um, I think that's been one of my most popular episodes uh, so far. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, like between us and all the listeners, so not that many more people, um, when, you were, <laughs> when, when you were describing, um, when you were describing being able to stay at home uh, with your daughter, um, it got a little dusty here in the closet. Um, and I think that mm. I think it's you know one thing that I'm really holding on to uh, for this project of mine is the fact that these interviews, um, you know, given Spotify's success, uh, are going to be live indefinitely, and you know we're going to be able to look back, uh, you know, five years from now, five years from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now, and get a real clear snapshot uh, of what we were thinking and what we were feeling. And I think there's probably going to come a moment, um, you know, when your daughter is uh, in high school uh, where you stumble across this and think about when she was four and you had the opportunity to teach her to read. That, that was a, that was a really beautiful um, uh, kind of encapsulation of the good that is coming out of all this, uh, this, this mess. Yeah. Well, I think it's cool what you're doing. I mean, you know, I mean, I think, real time stories and what this is kind of, I mean, this is an unprecedented moment in history and definitely a time that will wind up in history books, you know, that, and, yes. you know, having sort of real time uh, description of it, you know, is it's sort of creating a, a historical record that, um, you know, has value, right? I mean, it's first person accounts. Those are, those are the realest ones. So, um, you know, it's, it's not for nothing. It's not for nothing. Uh, please give my love to your, your wife Stacy, and uh, and make sure that uh, Noah gets those um, A's, E's, I's, O's, and U's uh, all sorted out. Those are important parts of the of the reading foundation. That is correct. That's a great assessment of the alphabet. <laughs> I, and I will tell Stacy. And I, ha you know, I haven't met Amanda yet, but I definitely look forward to that. I, I, I like. I'm so curious. I have so many questions for her. Like I would do a 10 part podcast on questions for Amanda. Like, like, you know, I love you. Like we've been friends forever. You know, we've, we've been around the world together. You yes, know, we have in Europe and Japan and you know, we've like summers together, sports together. Like, and I've always had, you know, I've had a couple friends who they just, they're just like not interesting. You know, they're just like, like they're just have a complex, like unique personalities and i and and i meant that not in a disrespectful way that it's like i'm just curious who that person's counterpoint is right who is the person who who not only you know it's like i like this but it's like i want this all the time you know <laughs> and uh, and you know and i'm excited to meet that person you know for these people who i've sort of identified over the course of my life and you are definitely in that category so uh, so Amanda is like, you know, I, I like want to just sit down and just like, you know, drink her in. I just want, I want to hear everything she has to say, like hear her backstory, how she got here. So I, I look forward to that. Um, once everything clears up, uh, we'll get that on the calendar and make sure it happens. Yeah, man. We'll do it at Brian's wedding. 2030. <laughs> 
uh, with, with that last parting shot, uh, I, I bid you a, uh, a wonderful evening. Take care, my friend. I'll talk to you on the chat soon. You too. Bye. Stay safe.